Good evening, church. How's everybody doing? I know what y'all thinking. Jeremy's getting younger and better looking. I'm just kidding. Uh, just a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, if you uh, came in tonight, one of these should be sitting on your chair. Uh, if you're already a heart and soul member of uh, Connection Church, I want to ask that you don't use one of these. Leave these for somebody who's going through heart and soul for the first time. And if you're going through heart and soul for the first time and you plan on being back next week, I want to ask you to take this and uh, keep up with it and bring it back with you for the next uh, three weeks after tonight. And if you, that'll, uh, that will enable you to follow along where we're going. And so with that, I want to ask you to open up to a page that looks just like this in that book, all right? So this is going, and the way this is going to be a little bit different tonight is that my message, you're going to be able to follow along with my message, all right? So I really, I'm, going to, I'm going to stop and tell you the blanks. I really want you to follow along with where I'm going, though, and I want you to be able to uh, fill in those blanks. If you miss any blanks because I talk too fast or make mistakes, I'm human, I get it. Uh, at the next steps table, there's going to be a book with all the answers in it that somebody will be glad to give you, all right? Uh, sure enough... Uh, how many of you have enjoyed uh, the messages that Jeremy's brought to us the past four, five weeks? Really? I think that means we're going to keep you. Uh, I, I, I want to encourage you. Uh, Jeremy has, ha has such a heart for you guys. And uh, if you feel like God's stirring in your heart, and you feel like there's something God's doing in your heart that he's been doing since you've been coming to Connection Millen, don't hesitate to call him or call me any time of day, uh, uh, any time of night. We, we, we're here for you, and uh, God really has given us a gift in uh, Jeremy being our campus pastor. So, uh, but he has such a heart for you, and I know that uh, over these last five weeks, he's preached his heart out, so tonight we're going to give him a little break, and as we start heart and soul, he's going to take the night off, and he's going to enjoy it, just like uh, he's gonna, I'm going to preach to him just like I'm going to preach to everybody else, all right? So uh, that's what we're doing. Tonight we're starting heart and soul, and if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to ask you to open your Bible with me to 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. Now, while you're going there, I'm going to give you just a second to, uh, to catch up. And uh, I want to talk to you about just something else really quick. So go there, and uh, while you're going there, I want, to, uh, I want to talk with you about about heart and soul for just a second. So if you've been coming here for the past five weeks, you can be here. For, you could have come for one week, two weeks. It don't matter. I guarantee you, you've heard us talk at some level about heart and soul. Like every week, somebody gets up here and says something about heart and soul. Either it's awesome, or you need to be doing it, or, or something. Like we, we're always pushing heart and soul, and it's it's a really, really, really big deal. These next four weeks for our church are are, are huge, and we make a big deal out of these four sessions. And you might be here one wondering why is heart and soul so important to us? Why does Jeremy talk about heart and soul every week? Why does whoever do, is doing the announcements every week talk about heart and soul? Well, I'm really glad you asked that because before we start heart and soul, I want to give you the two reasons why we think it's so important, all right? So the first reason, you can write this down in your book off to the side if you want to. It's not a blank, so I'll, I'll tell you when we get to the blanks, okay? The first reason we're doing heart and soul is that we at Connection Church... We, the people who are heart and soul with Connection Church, believe that we are on a mission for Jesus Christ, all right? And we believe that mission is dangerous, we believe that mission is important, and we believe that mission deserves every bit of passion and energy we can give with our lives. So we're on a mission here at Connection. And here's the thing, when you go to war, when you go on a mission, you don't want somebody with you who's not with you heart and soul, Right? So imagine those Navy SEALs who went to go get Bin Laden, and one of them's got his M4, you know, he's locking and loading that thing. He looks to the guy beside him, he's like, you ready, man? I guess. No, no. Well, you're about to go in and take Bin Laden down. You want somebody who's stra strapping up right beside you, right? You want, them cocking, you want somebody like, yeah, let's do this thing, right? So that's how we are here at Connection. We want people who are with us, who are heart and soul. And I want to give you... The Bible text I asked you to turn to illustrates this point really well. And before we read it, I want to just give you a little bit of background in it, all right? So the, the kingdom of Israel is about to go to war, all right, with the Philistines. And they're, out, they're outnumbered 36,000 to 3, right? 36,000 to 3. And that's the bare minimum. All we know is they got 36,000 chariots, and the Israelites have got 3,000 foot soldiers. Things are not looking good. Like That's 1 to 12, all right? Not the, bad, the baddest man in this room can't handle 1 to 12. And they're, they're getting ready to go to war, and on top of being outnumbered 1 to 12, 
There are only two swords and two uh, spears in the whole arm in the whole army of Israel. So three thousand men, two of them's got swords. Can you imagine being on that helicopter going to war? You ready? No, I ain't ready, man. I ain't ready, right? So they're in, they're in bad shape as they're about to go into this war. And uh, I, what I want to read you about is an account of right before this war gets started. So if you've got your Bible, let's look at 1 Samuel 14, verse 1. And let's start. It says, One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migran. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Guys, it's getting so bad, the people have run to the caves. They're like, they got 36,000 down there. We got 3,000. Let's go hide in the cave, right? So that's what they're doing. The people who were with him were about 600 men. The whole army's left of the 3,000 except 603 men. Saul, his armor bearer, and Jonathan, right? Or Jonathan, his armor bearer, and Saul including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, correct me later, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passage by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the other side, and, and a rock, there was a rocky crag on the other side, and the name of the, was, the, name of the one was Borez, and the other name, Seneh. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other side of the south in front of Gibeah. All right, I know I messed that up. Don't worry. It has no effect on the whole story. <laughs> Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over. This is where it gets important. Follow me here. So he says to this guy who's with him, two guys, he says, let, come, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, and for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by the many or by the few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Listen to this. Two men against a hundred. How many is on the other side? And he says, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you. What? Heart and soul. Oh, man, it's the same name, right? So he says, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up from the Lord has given us into, given them into our hand. And this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison held Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Man, that, like, this is just like a rocky moving going now right here, right? Come over here let me show you something. That's what these guys are saying. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, Let's go. It's probably more like, let's go, you know, like when you're getting excited, all right? Not, y'all got to, let's say it with me, let's go, right? That's how it's going. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And, and that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, a half a thorough's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Man, let's pray, and then we'll get into it, all right? God, I just thank you so much for who you are, Jesus. God, it's a great comfort to me, dear God, that your word says you are in the heavens. You will do whatever you please, God. So I just uh, I take the back seat to your word right now, God, and I pray that you would proclaim it faithfully, God. And I pray that you would do work in people's hearts, God. I just pray that you would do what only you can do, dear God. I pray that people would not even see me as I'm up here, God, but that you would hide me behind your cross, God, and that by the power of your spirit, you would speak life into people, God. Lord, I just pray that you would do a great and mighty thing as we talk about being heart and soul. Lord, please do great things. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So guys, this story is awesome, right? Two men go up over a hill and take out 20. All right, Jonathan's some kind of prototype Steven Seagal, right? I picture him say, doing all kind of kung fu and awesome stuff. But the, the point is that God saved with two men against 20. Like, uh, this is just some kind of epic fight scene that you see in movies. It, it, it plays out great. But before Jonathan goes, he doesn't say, I can do it all by myself. He doesn't say, I, I got this. You just sit down and, and, and watch. He says, listen, I need some help. 
Will you go with me? And the armor bearer looks to him and says, do whatever's in your heart, I'm with you, heart and soul. And that's the kind of attitude that, that, you're, that we're looking for for Connection Millen. When we're talking about we're on a mission here at Connection Church to connect people to a growing relationship with Christ, make no mistake about it, guys. This mission is more important than anything else you could do with your entire life. Like you are not primarily put on this earth to work, make money, get fat, and die. You are put here primarily so that you can be a vessel for which God to work through. This mission is important. And at Connection Church, we're looking for people who are heart and soul. So that's the first reason. We want people on the mission with us who are serious. The second reason is this. We don't want to ask you to serve for Connection Church before we come to you and serve you. Right? So we don't want to ask you to put on a blue shirt or, God forbid, even an orange shirt and go back there and tackle, and tackle K through 5, right? We don't want to ask you to go serve for us and go serve in the community until we serve you. And so this, this course is designed to serve your spiritual growth in a number of ways. Number one, this course is, to, is aimed to help you answer this question first and foremost. Do I really have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and am I pursuing him? So this, this is, if you pay attention throughout this course, we really believe that's what's going to, it's going to help you answer that question. Do I really know Jesus? And then second of all, it's going to equip you to have a conversation about your faith. So if you'll look at how this thing started, you're on session one tonight, and there's a question below session one. Does anybody, can somebody read to me what that question is? What does it mean to be saved? How many times have you talked with another person and that question, in some various form or another, been at the forefront? What does it even mean to be saved, right? And so tonight, that's what we want to talk about as we get into session one. And, I, and to illustrate this point, I want to uh, ask Gresham and Eddie to come up. And they're about to, if you guys would just go ahead and take that rope out across the length. So as I was thinking about this earlier, and this hit me like 10 minutes before the sermon. So as I was thinking about what does it mean to be saved, why is it even important that we're talking to you guys about what it means to be saved? God just really just, just burdened my heart for this point, right? So I want you to ask yourself tonight, what does it mean to be saved? And I want to tell you why this is important, all right? Because when we're talking about what it means to be saved, I want you to picture this rope right here as eternity. Starting with your birth on that end, and stretching into the never-ending span of eternity that you'll either spend in one or two places, heaven or hell, this is eternity. Now, it's infinitely shorter than eternity is, but just bear with me. Like, this is representing eternity. Who's got the, the end? Bring me that end, Mr. Eddie, please. So if that's what we have for eternity, this is what you have for your life. You have this little bit of time, this little bit of space to account for all of that. What I'm telling you is that salvation, what does it mean to be saved, is the most important question that you could ever ask yourself, and it does not benefit you to lie to yourself because everybody's got an eternity. So that's why this is important. Gresham, if you could take that out for me, bud. Thank you, sir. So that's where we're going tonight, guys. And as we get started, I just, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to start with the blanks. So as you, if you'll turn to that first page, you'll see this. You'll see, a blank, you'll see a header that says salvation, and it says these three things need to be present for salvation to happen. So when we're talking about what does it mean to be saved, there are three things that have to be present for salvation to happen, all right? Number one is the gospel. So that first blank is the gospel. The second blank is repentance, and the third blank is faith. So I hope you got somebody beside you you can cheat off of, right? So first blank, the gospel. Second blank, repentance. Third blank, faith, all right? And so as we're talking about that, these three things, for salvation to even happen, when we're talking about what does it mean to be saved, these three things are necessary for salvation to take place. And before we get started, I want somebody, I want to just throw this out there. Does anybody know what the gospel means? I mean, we in, we in the Deep South Bible Belt. Somebody can tell me what the gospel means. Anybody know? Good news, right? So the gospel literally means the good news. That's the literal translation of the word. And so 
When we're talking about the gospel, though, we have, to, we have to kind of define that term a little bit more, just good news. What's so good about it, all right? So what I want you to do is that there's a little section over in your notes. I want you to write this down as we go through it. When we're talking about the gospel, there are five threads of the gospel. I call them, uh, I call them the threads of the gospel. You can call them the five parts of the gospel. You can call it whatever you want to. But I want to tell you the five parts of the gospel, all right? The first part of the gospel is, that, is the character of God. So when we're talking about the character of God, I'm telling you that there is a God who created the earth who is perfect, holy, blameless, and has never once sinned. That's the character of God. He is infinitely perfect, he's infinitely loving, and he's infinitely just. Like, that's who he is. He punishes sins, and he loves people. That's who God is, the character of God. The second thing is the sinfulness of man, though. So number one in the five threads of the gospel, you have the character of God. Number two, you have the sinfulness of man. Think about this. There is a perfect God who created us in his perfect image, but then we sinned against him. So sin's an archery term. It means to have missed the mark. So in archery, you've got this bullseye, right? And you've got to take your bow back, and you've got to shoot your arrow at it. But if you miss that bullseye by even a centimeter, you sinned. You've missed the mark. Right, And so there's this good, great, perfect God who created us and said, be like me. I want you to enjoy me and be like me. And what we've done is we've missed the mark. We've sinned against him. We said, God, we don't want to be like you. We want to do things on our own. We want to be our own person. We'll take it from here. So that's, that's the sinfulness of man. But number three, and here's the good news, guys. We have the sufficiency of Christ. That's a, that's a big word. I know just sufficiency of Christ. Cheat off somebody. All right? I cut my wife spells for me. So the sufficiency of Christ. And that means that where we owed sin, Christ came and paid our sin. Because right, think about this. God's infinitely loving. That means he looks at you and me and loves us with a passion and a love that you cannot imagine. The, the only thing we could probably even compare it to is the love of a father for a child, right? Or a mother for a child. That's how God looks at you and loves you and just longs after you. But yet, he's infinitely just. And we all know that when a judge sits on his judgment seat, if somebody's guilty, he has to punish them, correct? So when I'm telling you the sufficiency of Christ, I'm telling you that Christ takes the punishment we owe. Here's a story I want to tell you guys that I heard that I think just, it just sums this up so well. I don't know if this is true. It was presented to me as true. And I'm going to present it to you as true. I might be lying, but don't hold it against me, all right? So there was the, in, in, the, in, the, in the days of the Vikings, there was this king in Norway, and he, he was known by his people to be the most loving king in the whole land, all right? But he was also known to be the most just king in the whole land. So he loved people, but yet he was just. He loved those who did right, and he punished those who did wrong. But yet, as he was going about his kingdom, he's going about his rule and reign and all that good stuff, he comes in one day and he realizes that his treasury is being depleted. And he goes up, he comes out and makes an announcement and says, listen, I've got a real problem here. I'm losing money from my treasury. If we got to do something, whoever gets caught is going to get 20 lashes. Now, 20 lashes was the equivalent of, about, of almost being, ha- being beaten half to death, right? So this problem rocks on and rocks on. It's not getting any better. And he comes out again and says, guys, listen, this problem's gotten serious now. I'm, I'm hemorrhaging money. We've got to do something about it. He says, whoever gets caught is going, to be, is going to receive 40 lashes. 40 lashes was the death penalty. And so he goes back in, and a couple days later, the criminal is out, and this is mother. And the king is distraught. What am I to do? It's my mom. So the king's in a bad place. It's his mom. He's infinitely loving. He loves his mother more than you could possibly imagine. But at the same time, he's infinitely just, and somebody who, who is wrong has to be punished. So the king says, I needed a few days to think about it. And he goes into his, his chamber and he stays for days and comes back out. He says, right is right. She has to be punished. So he take, the executioner takes her to the block and the king is there to carry out the order. And he says, stop. And he takes off his royal robes and he takes off his crown and he goes down and he covers his mother. And there was not a place that she was exposed that would not be, be beaten by his body. Would take the, the beating would be taken from, from him. And he looks at the executioner and he says, now deliver the blows. And she says, he says, sir, I, I can't. I'll hit you. He said, that's not, your, that's not your worry. I said deliver the blows. And the executioner delivered the blows, but there was somebody sufficient to take the pain, right, to take the punishment. When I say the sufficiency of Christ, what I'm telling you is that Christ covers us in that way and takes 
our uh, punishment. Then number four, we've got the necessity of faith and repentance. So those other two things right there. What, are, what does faith and repentance mean? Well, faith means to rest the entire weight of your body on something. When you sit in a chair and put all your weight on that chair, you're resting the weight of your body on that chair. That's what faith is, the trust in Jesus so much that, Jesus, I trust you with all that I am. And repentance, it literally means to have a change of heart. It doesn't mean you just stop doing certain things. It means who you are on the inside has changed. And then last but not least, the fifth thread is this, the urgency of eternity. Guys, I want to tell you the truth that a lot of people won't love you enough to tell you. Thankfully, we've got a good preacher who tells you every single week, but the truth is that there is going to be an eternity and you will spend it one or two places, heaven or hell, and it's the most important decision you can ever make in your life. So those three things have to be present. Let's keep moving. So these three things have to be necessary for salvation, but we need to understand what the Bible means when it says salvation. So the Bible explains salvation with three terms. Or it's a bit, it might be better to think about it like this. The Bible explains salvation in three tenses. Anybody remember our tenses? We got past tense, we got present tense, and we got future tense, right? So the Bible, when the Bible talks about salvation, it talks about salvation in three terms. And these are big words, spell them the best you can. I didn't make the book, don't be mad at me, right? Number one is justification. The Bible explains salvation with a word that's called justification. And I'm going to explain what these mean in just a second. But here's my, this is my outline. This is what I'm about to preach to you guys on. Number one, we're going to talk about justification in that first blank. Number two, we're going to talk about, talk about sanctification in that second blank. And number three, we're going to talk about glorification. So justification, sanctification, and glorification. That's where we're going tonight. So first, what I want us to do is I want us to take a look at what it means for us to be justified. So justification, if you'll turn the page there, you'll see a heading at the top. It says justification, that's where we're going. So you got a couple blanks there, and it says, justification is the gracious act of God by which he declares a sinner righteous only through faith in Christ. So that's, what, that's the definition for justification. It's the gracious act of God by which he declares a sinner righteous only through faith in Christ. Now, as we're looking at that definition, who does justification? God does justification. It's not something that you do for yourself. It's not something that you, uh, that you are active in. Justification is the gracious act of God. I got news for you tonight. I stand here justified before God, not because Dallas Wilson was anything. Right? If you, if you could take my thoughts and project them on the screen of what I've thought in the past week, y'all would be like, sit down, somebody else has got to preach, right? I stand before you tonight, not justified by who I am, but I'm justified by the gracious act of God when he declared me righteous through faith in Christ. So that's what justification means. And what I want you to understand is, and we come from this mindset where we think what we have to do to be saved is be a good enough person, right? That's our mindset. All you got to do to be saved, go to church. Hug your mama, vote Republican. <laughs> right? That's, a, that's the mark of a Christian. That's, a, that's what we think, guys. And we think that when I die, I'm going to stand before God who created the earth and look at him in the face and say, I'm good enough. Just let me in, man. I'm good enough. I voted Republican. Trump, he's my man. Right? That was a joke. Just joking, guys. <laughs> so, guys, and the way we like to think about it is this. I want to use Courtney for, for an example. Everybody looking at Courtney, Courtney, raise your hand right here. The way we like to think about this is that if I'm close enough to God's standard when I die, if I can just try to be good enough, if I don't do anything real bad, if I don't murder somebody, surely when I die, he's going to let me in. If I hug my mama and go to church, he's going to let me in. So I want to use Courtney. Courtney, raise your hand one more time. She's God's standard for us. All right, I'm going to stand up here. I'm going, I'm going to be God. All right? Not really, but I'm going to use myself as God, and I'm in heaven, and I'm looking down at all y'all, all right? And we like to think that if this is God's standard, this line right here, if I can just get close enough to God's standard, when I die, he'll put me in. He'll say, yo, man, you tried hard. You was a good old boy. You did good. I'm going to let you in, right? And so what we, the way we like to think about it is that all y'all over here, y'all ain't got no chance. Y'all didn't hug y'all's mama. Y'all didn't, didn't go to church enough. Y'all didn't, didn't see a poor person on the side of the road and give them a 20 and, and give them a ride. Y'all were not good enough. But old Jamie here, he's been good. 
He, he's tried as hard as he could to be a good person. He, tries, he wakes up in the morning, he kisses his wife, and he goes to work, and he makes a good living, and he does right by everybody. And if, surely when, when he dies, God's going to look at him and say, Jeremy, you've been good enough. But what I want you guys to understand is that there is nothing you can do to be good enough, right? If you're on this side of the line, you're done for. You're in bad shape. Right? It doesn't matter. You can get as close as Miss Presley right here. Presley, raise your hand, sweetheart. You can get as close to that line as you possibly can. You can be, you can be just as good as you want to be. But if you are not perfect, if you've even committed one sin, when you die, you're going to be infinitely sinful before God. Here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to understand. Your punishment is equally, to, is equally proportionate to who you sin against. If I kill Jeremy tonight, all y'all going to be mad at me, right? But y'all, well, he just killed Jeremy. It ain't like he killed the Pope, you know. He, didn't, he killed a preacher. He didn't kill the preacher, right? So, but now, now, if, but now, if I, let's say I go kill the Pope. Let's, not only am I going to have y'all mad at me, I'm going to have a whole entire world at, mad at me, right? Because the punishment of your sin is equally proportionate to who you sin against. And so when we've even committed one sin against somebody who's infinitely perfect, you deserve infinite damnation. There is nothing you can do to be good enough. But what I'm trying to help you see with this illustration is that you can be the worst person on this side of the line, the worst low-down drunk, homosexual, murderer in the world. And when God saves you, you don't have to be good enough to get on this side of the line. He puts you on this side of the line. All right. So what I'm trying to tell you is that when God looks down, he sees two kinds of people. He sees sinners and he sees saved people. Right. And we like to think, oh, God, God loves you just like you are. Right. You, 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 he loves you, right? If you're a sinner, don't worry. He loves you. But guys, the reality is that Psalm says 15 times in the first 50 chapters that God hates sinners. He hates them. And when he looks down, he sees sinners. He, he's like, I want to love you, but you sin, so I hate you and I have to punish you. He has to. But yet, when we lay our life down and say, Jesus, I want you, and he cleanses us, he covers us. He takes people who are the furthest on this side of the line and puts them on this side of the line. Justification is an instantaneous event. That's the next blank there. I got to go. I'm sorry. I'm running way behind, boys. Justification is an instantaneous event. If I could help you understand, guys, anything in this world, this would be it. Because as I prayed today, as we walked to school and prayed, I literally had to sink to my knees because I, could, I, I just want you to understand this. If you could understand what God has done for you, it'll change everything. Think about this in legal terms, right? We are guilty in our sin. A just God must punish us, but Christ takes our punishment. Through faith, we are declared innocent. Everybody got those? Y'all need me to repeat them? Okay, repeat them. We are guilty in our sin. A just God must punish us. Christ takes our punishment. Through faith, we are declared innocent. So think about this. Think about, let's just say, one, anybody in here, insert your name in the blank. You've lost your mind and you kill somebody. Like, you just, like, and you knew you was, like, you just didn't, you, not insanity lost your mind. You just lost your mind. It was like, I'm about to kill somebody. Bam, you killed them. And you're on the courtroom, right? You're in the courtroom, and the judge looks at you and says, guilty. He has to say guilty. He can't let you go. If you've killed somebody, you deserve the punishment. Everybody would agree to that, right? So imagine he's carried out your sentence. He said, he's sentenced you. He said, for your sin, you're getting the death penalty by way of the electric chair. And so the years go by where you sit on death row, and then as they're strapping your head into that chair, and getting the sponge wet, somebody walks in and says, don't do it. I know he deserves the I know that he or she deserves the punishment for this sin, but I'm not going to let them take it. Put me in the chair instead. And they say, well, sir, you know, you know that they committed the crime, right? Not you. And he says, I don't care. I love them. I want to pay for the sin. And then they take you out of the electric chair and they put Jesus in the electric chair and they strap his head to it and they wet him and they Roll on one, roll on two, and he takes your punishment. 
Guys, when I'm talking about think about it in legal terms, I'm saying you deserve the punishment and Christ took the punishment. That's what justification is. Think relationally. We are created to know God because of our, relation, because of our sin. Our relationship with God is broken. Through Christ, that relationship can be reconciled. Now we can approach God with confidence. So you might be asking yourself this. Like, how do I get this? Guys, you talk about it with such, with such confidence, like you've got this how. Guys, here's what I want you to understand more than anything else in the world. There's nothing you can do to get this. Nothing. You can't pray enough. You can't, I think this thing's coming off me. You can't pray enough. You can't fast enough. You can't love your wife or your kids enough. There's nothing that you can possibly do to get this. But Ephesians 2, 8, right there on your paper. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is nothing you do. It's the gift of God. Well, how do you get a gift? You receive it. Jesus, give it to me. Jesus, give it to me. I've got to have this gift he's offering. And what I want you to understand is that this is the fuel for the Christian life. And I want to tell you a story that I think just illustrates this so well. And this, this story comes from Isaiah chapter 6. Does anybody know the story of Isaiah chapter 6? It's, man, it's, it's a great story. But when Isaiah been, has been a prophet for quite some time, and it, he, he's going around doing what God says, but one day he has a vision and sees God in his temple. Now, when I say sees God, like, I don't want you to think about the man you've seen in all those movies, Morgan Freeman, up on, you know, the things, Bruce Almighty snapping his fingers and stuff's happening. I'm talking, he sees God who reigns. And he says he sees God and he sees him high and lifted up. And there are two angels. And these angels are swinging back and forth and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. And these angels are so powerful that when they fly back and forth and say, holy, 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 the, the pillars of the temple shake. Like there's an earthquake happening because God is so powerful. And when Isaiah sees this, he has these words. Woe is me, for I am undone. He sees God, and he says, God, I deserve to die. I, the word for undone literally means like destroyed. Like I deserve to just die right here because I'm a sinner. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He says, I'm a sinner, and God is holy. I deserve to die. And Isaiah's there. As Isaiah's there, and he's, he's, he's broken down, and he knows, God, I'm going to die. I've seen God face to face. I, I, I'm definitely going to die. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? An angel goes over to the altar, and he takes a coal. And now what I want you to understand about this altar is that the altar is the place where they make sacrifices. And the blood from that sacrifice dripped down onto these coals. And the angel takes a coal and he goes and puts it to Isaiah's lips and says, Isaiah, your sins are atoned for. So the blood of the sacrifice paid for Isaiah's sin. And guys, what I want you to see there is that Isaiah realized who he was. I'm a sinner. I deserve to die. I'm nothing before you, God. I want you. Please save me. And what did Isaiah do? Nothing. He realized who he was and he realized his need. God did the rest. Tonight, I'm telling you that I've seen it on your face and there's some of you here tonight and you realize your need. You realize I'm a sinner. You realize I need God, but you won't do what you need to do. Nothing. Just sit there. Say, God, I want you. I want you. I want you. He'll do the rest. Every week when Jeremy's been asking you to raise your hand for salvation, you know what he's been asking you? Let God do everything. Because when God saves, that's what he does. He does the work. Justification. So next we're going to go to sanctification. Spend a lot of time there. Let's keep going. Sanctification. So sanctification is the process by which God transforms our lives into the image of Christ. Justification is an instantaneous event. Sanctification is a gradual process. Everybody get those blanks? Justification is an instantaneous event. Sanctification is a gradual process. Look at that first definition again, though. Don't miss this. Sanctification is the process by which who transforms our lives? God transforms our lives. Guess what, guys? You get saved and you don't start doing the work. God still does the work through you, right? So sanctification is an instantaneous event. Uh, justification is an instantaneous event. Sanctification is a gradual process. When we are saved, here's what I want you guys to think about. When we are saved, positionally, all right, we go from this side of the line 
to over here on this side of the line. Positionally, we're in a different spot. Practically, we wake up and we're still the same person that was on this side of the line, right? So even though God looks at us and he sees us on this side of the line, we're still on this side of the line. We wake up the next morning. We still got a bad attitude. People still get on your nerves. You still got a short temper. You still got a problem with lust. You still got to kick pornography to the curb. You still got a problem with alcohol. But hey, positionally, you're over here. Practically, you still got to work it out, right? Sanctification is the process from where God takes you over here and puts you over here, right? So that's the way this works. So uh, sanctification is growing into the image of Christ. Number one, upon salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit. That's that blank. So let's read Acts 2.38. It says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Guys, I'm amazed at how many people claim to be saved. They, I'm a Christian, uh, you know, but they never once have any evidence of a changed life. Let me assure you of something tonight. All right, I'm not judging you. I don't have, I say this with the, the most humble heart I could possibly have. All right, me and Jeremy's been talking about humility a lot this week between the two of us. He knows that's an inside joke. Uh, he's been lecturing me. Stay humble, boy. That's what he's been telling. But I say this with the most humble heart I can, I can possibly have. If there is no change from who you were before you claimed to have met Christ until who you are right now, then you are not justified, and you are not being sanctified. When we have the Holy Spirit, and I'm amazed at how many people, listen guys, who when they do get saved, they, they just forget the Holy Spirit is even there. They just try to get, I got to do better. God save me. I got to do better. I got to stop looking at that stuff on the internet. I got to stop cheating on my wife. I got to stop. That's a big one. You probably should tell your wife about that. I got to stop drinking. I got to stop doing all these things. They wake up and God saved them, but they think they're going to have enough grit to do the rest on their own. They forget that the Holy Spirit is even there. They forget that God's going to do all the saving. All they've got to do is lean on the Holy Spirit. How, when God comes to live inside of us, can we forget that He's there and He's going to do all the work? Listen, it's kind of like this. If I was down at the rate department uh, next week, and I was just shooting some hoops, and I was killing it. You know, three-pointers. First of all, y'all would know I'm dreaming because that would never happen. But if I was down at the rate department and there was five of us, and LeBron James was there. Who don't know who LeBron James is? Raise your hand if you don't know who LeBron James is. Okay, good. You shouldn't have admitted it because I'd have picked on you. All right? LeBron James is there. And he, he's like, I want to play with you guys. And I take LeBron on my team. And instead of passing LeBron the ball, I'm like, LeBron, get, let me shoot it. And I'm over there missing, missing three-pointers like crazy, and LeBron's sitting on the bench. How much sense would that make? No, if I'm at the rec department and LeBron James is on my team, I'm feeding him. All right, just give him the ball. LeBron will do the rest. And that's kind of the way it works with us in salvation. When we get saved, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. All we have to do is let him handle it. You do it. I'll just, I'm going to step back. You just change what you want to change. And, guys, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes, it's, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it feels like we're dying on the inside. But he's doing all the work. All we have to do is step aside and say, God, do it. You'll do it. It's like just giving LeBron the ball. Let me ask you something. If you are saved and you know in your heart, I'm saved, but man, the struggle, I'm not really growing that much. When's the last time you prayed to the Holy Spirit and asked him to help you grow in Christ? When's the last time you called out to him, God, help me, I want you more, I want to change. The purpose of the Spirit is to conform you into the image of Christ. That's the next blank. So let me me assure you this. Christ did not die for you to stay the same old person. You know what sanctification is? It's God pulling you out of that mess you were in. Guys, I can personally promise you I am thankful that God did not leave me in my sin. God just doesn't leave you in the stuff that you're struggling with. God doesn't leave you in this place where you're hurting. God don't leave you in the place where you're struggling. Sanctification is Him pulling you out of that. It's kind of like this. When you get saved, you should start growing into the image of Christ. And guys, when you love somebody, you want to look more like them. A little boy with their dad, a little girl with their mom, they imitate them, right? I was on Facebook a while back, and I hadn't even told my wife this. She ain't in here tonight, so y'all don't tell her because it's kind of embarrassing. 
when I was little, like anybody who knows me knows what, what's about to come. I loved an action hero. All right, anybody got any guesses? Chuck Norris, right? <laughs> the one and only, baby, all right? If he was here tonight, I'd let him preach, okay? Chuck Norris, he can do anything. But I, lo- I especially love Walker, Texas Ranger. And Walker, Texas Ranger had this wicked smile. Like, it was kind of like, you know, caught this to the side. <laughs> Y'all think this is funny, but it's going somewhere. <laughs> I watched Walker, Texas Ranger so much when I was a little boy that I wanted to smile like him. And somebody had a kindergarten picture of me. I remember when I took the picture in my head, I, th- I was thinking I want to look like Walker. All right? I, I found the picture. Somebody put it on Facebook the other day, and I was like, <laughs> because in my mind, in my heart, Walker was my hero. I wanted to be just like Walker. But guys, I know that's funny, but in all seriousness, the more I know Jesus, the more I want to be like Jesus. And I want, to, I want to take pictures where I look like him. I want, to take, I want to do actions that show, man, this is, you've seen Dallas, he looks a lot like Jesus. I want my life to show that. And if in your heart you don't have that desire to look a little bit more like Jesus, something's not right. And guys, I know it's hard. Looking more like Jesus don't look, more, don't look just like being a good old boy. It looks like going to the hurting and the poor and the helpless. It looks like loving people who are unlovable. It looks like getting out of your comfort zone. It looks like being around people who don't look like you. Being like Jesus is hard. But if you don't have that desire, you should question, am I really saved? Do I really want to know Jesus? Number three, when we're talking about sanctification on the next page, it's a process, not perfection. It's a process, not perfection. Understand this. It's not easy, and it's not fast. At Connection, we're going to say this a lot, and I want you to hear it tonight. It's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. You can come in here, and you can be going through divorce. You can be going through the worst time of your life. You could be a drug addict. You could be on your last leg. You could be in default on your mortgage. I don't care where you're at. At connection, it's okay not to be okay. I won't ever look down my nose at you. Jeremy won't ever look down his nose at you. He won't ever judge you, and it's okay not to be okay. But listen to me, it's not okay to stay that way. Just because it's okay not to be okay doesn't mean it's okay to stay that way. Sanctification is that process of you coming out of it's not okay. I'm not okay. If I can just be honest, by a show of hands, if some of you who've been saved a long time, How many of you wish this process of looking more like Jesus, of struggling less, of putting away sin more was faster? How many of you just wish it? Like you just, how many of you have been saved for, let's do it, let's do it like this. How many of you have been saved for over 10 years and you still struggle with things you struggled with 10 years ago? Look around, guys. It's not easy. It's not fast. It kind of makes me think of like people who go to the gym. And this is what happened with people who've never worked out before. They go to the gym, and like after a week, they're like, I'm getting pretty good. <laughs> Been doing this for a week. I'm awesome, you know. But then three weeks in, they're kind of like, I'm not, I'm not changing as fast. Like, I'm not losing the weight I wanted to lose. I'm not showing as many cuts. Like, what's going on? Like we, and they want it to be so fast. And guys, it works the same way with our sanctification. Sometimes we just want it to go so much faster. We want to God just be easier, be easier. It's not an easy process, guys. But let me tell you this. Don't give up. Because the Bible says it's God working in you and through you to do abundantly more than you could ever imagine. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's hard. Listen, guys, if you want some encouragement, I made my wife cry this week. She was picking out paint colors for the baby room. And I was like, can you just pick a gray? You know, they're gray. And she was like, you don't even care. And I walked out. But I walked out of my house. Seriously, and you think I'm joking with you. I walked out of my house and said, I still, I shouldn't be struggling with treating her the way I still treat her. I still, I shouldn't be as selfish as I am on the inside as I still am. I I shouldn't love myself more than I love people, but I still am. And I want it to be faster. I want to be the best husband in the world. I pray it all the time, but I'm just not there yet. It's a slow process. 
Understand this, this last point. If the Spirit is in us, our life must be growing into the image of Christ. If you are saved, you will be growing in the image of Christ. It will be slow. It will be hard. It will not be fun some days, but you will look more like Jesus. If you're not, we need to talk. Guys, that's why, that's why Jeremy just pleads with you week after week. For some of you who've been here, who've been going to church your whole life, listen, if you think you're saved but you don't have any fruit to show it, you're not saved. That's why we plead with you guys week after week. If the Spirit is in us, our life must be growing into the image of Christ. Last point here, glorification. So sometimes... When the Bible talks, we talked about two tenses already. We've talked about justification, which that's the past tense of salvation, right? So at the moment you're saved, you're justified. That happened in the past, all right? That happened last week. This week, I'm being sanctified. That's the present tense. As I'm standing here right now, I'm moving forward. That's present tense. One day, there's going to be a tense of salvation called glorification. Future tense. It's not here yet, but it's coming. Glorification is the final stage of salvation. And I want us to read, here's a, there's some scripture down at the bottom there, Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Let's read it together. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. God's going to be beside us. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Listen, when we're talking about glorification, the future tense of salvation, we don't, have, we don't know much about what the Bible says. All we have is what the Bible says, and it's not a whole lot. But here's what we know, that there we will receive perfect bodies. That what you have, every pain, every ache, every sickness, every cancer, every back pain when you wake up in the morning, it will be gone. He'll cast that into the pit of hell with the devil. We will have unhindered fellowship with God. You will literally dwell in the presence of God. Like understand who, how awesome that is. We're not talking about dwelling with your best friends. We're not talking about dwelling with your spouse. We're talking about you're going to live with the God who created the universe. And while some people, some people don't think that's that awesome, it's because you don't know my God. There will be no more sin, sorrow, sickness, or separation. I long for the day. And when I think about heaven, you know what I think about? I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to be lustful. I'm not going to be prideful. I'm not going to be greedy anymore. That when I can see God face to face, every struggle I've ever had will just disappear because I'll look at Him and see, you are so much more worth it than anything this world has to offer. How about sorrow? How many of you just have, have had sorrow in your heart and it feels like it's breaking you apart? You feel like you're going to die because of it? You feel burdened because of it? There's going to be a day when there is no more sorrow. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more words of the test results were negative. There will be no more words of it's a mass. There'll be no more words of we got to do chemo. There'll be no more words of he's not going to make it through the night. There'll be no more words of he's got to have a ventilator. There'll be no more mornings when you wake up and say, I'm still tired from the baby crying the night before. There'll be no more words of saying, my child's sick. That when we see him face to face, every struggle we have ever had will be demolished. I want you to be excited about that. Because if you can ever grasp how amazing heaven will truly be one day. More importantly, if you can ever grasp how amazing it will be to look Jesus in his face. My sweet Savior. And say, 
Every pain I ever experienced on earth was worth this moment. Everything will be different. It's a glorification of it. So guys, I've told you tonight about three tenses of salvation. I've told you what it means to be justified. I've told you what it means to be sanctified. I've told you what it means to be glorified. Now my question for you is, are you saved? It's not a hard question. It's not a complicated question. I promise you, I'm not trying to trick you. I promise you, I'm not trying to get you just to raise your hand because it makes our numbers look good. I just want to know that when you die, will you be with me? I want, that's what, this is why I pursue my wife's heart so much. Because I want to know that when she dies, she's going to be with me. This is why I'm about to have a little girl. This is why in my mind, already I know I've got to pursue her heart. Because when she dies, I want her to be with me. This is why I'm pursuing your heart tonight. When you die, I want you to be with me and Jesus. And it all starts with that word justification. It all starts with that moment where God declares you innocent. But some of you tonight, you're still here and you're still carrying the guilt of your sin. You've never experienced the cleansing love of Christ and you can have that tonight. If you're here and you feel like Christ is calling you, you feel like Christ is, is working in your heart and that you just want, you just want him to say, I forgive you, I, I justify you, every sin, past, present, future, is, is forgiven. If you want that tonight, all we ask you to do at Connection is just raise your hand. If that's you and you feel like God's calling you to salvation tonight, will you just raise your hand? And we just want to celebrate with you. We just want to worship with you. Is there anybody saying, tonight I feel like Christ is calling me from death to life and he's doing it all. One more second. If not, that's fine. I don't want you to raise your hand if you're, not, if, you, if you're already saved. That's great. But here's what I know. is I wake up every day and still struggle. So there's room for me to grow in my sanctification. And tonight, we just want to open this altar and say, if you want to press in more, if you want to grow in Christ, if you want to give Him more, if you want to fall more in love with Him, that's what this altar's for. We just want to open it up, guys. As I pray... They're going to sing. You don't worry about them singing. If you want to grow in sanctification, if you want to just pursue Christ more, this altar is going to be open for you. It's here if you need it. So as they start to play tonight, after I pray, you come down and do business with God. Jesus, I just, I pray from the bottom of my heart, God, that I did not get in your way. God, I pray that tonight you did work in people's hearts, dear God. I don't, I don't want to steal from your glory, God. You're big and you're mighty and you're holy and you deserve praise, God. I just pray that I stayed out of your way. And I just pray that as tonight, as this altar opens, God, I just pray that people would come and say that you're big, God, and you're, gloriful, you're glorious and you're mighty. And I pray that they would give their lives to you. So I just pray that you would do work in our hearts tonight. And we love you and we thank you for saving us. In Christ's name I pray.